Monday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're unfamiliar with any of these products or their benefits, don't hesitate to give Artisan Botanicals a call. Uh, I'm a customer there, and I can just tell you they are great people that are absolutely dedicated to helping you live a better life. So don't hesitate to ask any questions you may have, 405-458-9699. Plus, right now, we're saving you 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W. Discount code ColbyShow for 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com. So I want to start today talking NFL draft and particularly the state guys and where they may fit in the NFL draft as we stand at this point. Uh, most of you know I love the NFL draft. I love the process of the NFL draft. I think the entire roller coaster ride that is the NFL draft is fascinating and kind of tracking um, you know, where guys' stock may be, their value may be from the end of the season through the Senior Bowl and Pro Days and the Combine all the way to the point that you get to the NFL draft. Like I said, I think it's just a fascinating pro, uh, process. So uh, I've been asked this a few times over the last couple weeks, and so I'll, I'll try to uh, to do this every couple weeks as we get all the way to the draft. But uh, the in-state guys and just kind of where they fit right now uh, as far as the first round of the NFL draft and then maybe like the draft range for those guys that aren't considered first-round picks. So there are two guys that consistently are in NFL mock drafts in the first round, and that is Zayvon Collins, linebacker Tulsa, and Tevin Jenkins, tackle Oklahoma State. Um, Not that there aren't some other in-state guys that in various mock drafts are projected to go in the first round, but these are the two guys that you see their names appearing most often in the first round of mock drafts. So Zayvon Collins, kind of all over the map. I've seen him as high uh, early in the process as the top 10, like eight, nine, um, a few weeks ago, I think I saw him around the 12 range. So just going over the weekend, going through some mock drafts, um, there was a CBS mock draft that had him going number 17 to the Raiders. And that was the ceiling, uh, as far as what I looked at over the weekend, Daniel Jeremiah didn't have Zayvon Collins going in his first round. Todd McShay has him going number 26 to the Cleveland Browns. Pro Football Network has him going number 26 to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Mike Renner from PFF had Zayvon Collins at number 24 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Walter Football had him going 22 to the Tennessee Titans. So that's just a few examples of Zayvon Collins uh, and and where he fits in the first round. Um, Tevin Jenkins is another guy that I think is in the first round of most mock drafts. You know, when you talk about Zayvon Collins... He's considered, I think, by most either the best or second best outside linebacker available in this draft. Um, You know, obviously not considering the edge rushers in that category, but um, people are really high on Tevin Jenkins, and I think as far as where he fits, most people, I think, have him as the fourth best tackle available. Uh, Now, again, that's, that's up for debate, and there are certainly going to be people that don't view him that highly, but I think when you kind of average it out, most of what I see is Sewell, uh, Slater, and Darisol as as pretty much the the one, two, and three guys. And then I think a lot of people have Tevin Jenkins as the next best available tackle. Um, let's see, PFN, Pro Football Network, had him going number 22 to the Titans in their latest mock draft. Daniel Jeremiah had him going 29 to the Packers. Um, 
PFF, Mike Renner had him going 30 to the Bills, while Austin Gale had him going 20 to the Bears. So again, uh, Tevin Jenkins is in the majority of these first round mock drafts that I've seen lately. Uh, He's a guy that I think is viewed as a pretty safe pick. And again, I think unanimously people consider him to be one of the best five tackles available in this draft. As far as the other in-state guys, you know, early in this process, I saw Rodarius Williams uh, at the, at the tail end of the first round in one or two mock drafts. But I, I think for him, probably the ceiling is, the second round. Uh, if I were betting, I think it's probably a round three to round four selection for Rodarius Williams. Um, Ronnie Perkins is a guy that I said, uh, you know, two months ago, I, I thought if he declared for the NFL draft, and at that point we weren't sure, but I, I thought that if he did declare, he was going to be a guy that was going to watch his, his value skyrocket throughout the process and throughout evaluations. And I think we've seen that as well. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah had him going number 23 to the Jets in his latest mock mock draft. So uh, that's the only one uh, over the last week that I've seen with Ronnie Perkins in the first round. But again, I mean, Daniel Jeremiah, I think, is one of the most respected individuals in this business. So um, DJ has him going 23 to the Jets. I could certainly see that being the case. If I had to bet, it's probably around two selection for Ronnie Perkins. But um, I, I think he's a fascinating prospect in terms of what he gives you at the next level. I heard the comparison last week actually to TJ Watt as far as skill set, size, quickness, speed, all of that. I think, uh, you know, he's 250, 63. I think Watt's 6'4, 250. Um, I don't know. That that one's kind of an interesting interesting uh, comparison to me. But look, Ronnie Perkins, again, when you just watch his skill set, watch the motor, I thought that people were going to come away from evaluating him higher on him than they were going in, and I think that's what we're seeing. Uh, some of the other guys, uh, Ramondre Stevenson is a guy that uh, declared for the draft, and, and I think he's another guy that probably will be viewed um, – in a better light after evaluations than before evaluations. So running back's just one of those positions. It's really hard. It's not highly valued at the top of the draft, but I mean, every year there's just a deep crop of talented running backs that are certainly going to have opportunities to help teams. Um, I think he's probably a round three, round four guy, if I had to bet. Um, We've seen Trey Sermon, I think, really skyrocket in a lot of these mock drafts after his run at Ohio State all the way to the point that I think some were considering him the the third best running back after Etienne and Najee Harris. Um, he's a guy that I don't think it would be a shock necessarily to see him go in the second round, but if I had to bet, probably uh, it's a round three selection. Um, you know, I think most people kind of view him as a either, you know, number four, number five, fringe top five running back in this draft. And then, you know, the one that maybe the biggest shock is Chuba Hubbard. A year ago, I think most people kind of felt like this guy was, without a doubt, a first or second round pick. And it, it obviously wasn't a great season. But uh, there are there are some people that don't even have Chuba Hubbard ranked in their top 10 running backs available in this NFL draft. Um, I think Mel Kuyper's latest top 10 running back ranking had Chuba Hubbard as the ninth best available running back. So um, again, we'll see where that lands him, but um, I I would have not, I I wouldn't have guessed going back to the beginning of the season that Chuba Hubbard entering the draft was going to be the number nine ranked running back uh, as we are this far away. So uh, that's where Chuba Hubbard is. I've seen, I've seen Trey Brown projected around round three or four 
um, kind of middle of the draft. So I think at the beginning of this process, Creed Humphrey was a guy that that most people felt like was a guarantee to be a first round pick, um, especially, you know, two years ago, a year ago, just looking at the upside. Um, right now, I think it's it's certainly possible for him to go in the first round. I, I wouldn't rule that out whatsoever. Uh, I think there are two things at play here. Number one, center's just not a an extremely valuable position to take in the first round. So that, you know, already you're at a little bit of a disadvantage. There, You know, every year we see this. There are like five or six tackles taken. Some years we see a center go, some years we don't. So it's not a guarantee that a center is selected in the first round, whereas every year you know there are going to be multiple tackles taken in the first round. So um, the first part is the position isn't as as highly valued in the NFL draft as some of the you know tackle, for example. But I, I think in terms of where he, he fits in the available centers – it's, it's either him or Landon Dickerson. I think across the board, people view those two guys as the best two, and I, I've seen rankings that have them uh, flip-flopped nearly across the board. Some guys like Dickerson better than Creed Humphrey. Some guys like Creed Humphrey better than Landon Dickerson. So, again, I think part of it is, will we see a center taken in the first round? And if we do, you know, does that team value Landon Dickerson or Creed Humphrey as as the best available? So, um, like I said, I think it's possible that Creed goes in the first round, but uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see him go in round number two. And and honestly, when you just consider that every year it's it's a crapshoot as to whether we see a center taken in the first round, and then you know, knowing that he's not necessarily the undisputed number one, um, it, you know, makes me lean toward if I had to bet, being a second-round pick. Uh, Tylen Wallace, to me, is one of the most fascinating and interesting storylines in this draft. And, you know, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. I feel like the receiver position is kind of becoming what the running back position was for a long time. It's such a pass-happy league uh, at all levels now that we, we just see more skilled receivers than we've ever seen. And, you know, when you start looking at what the draft has been over the last few seasons, when you look at the available prospects every year, I, I kind of wonder if teams, you know, at some at some point, if you're not getting one of those elite guys, don't just kind of view this as there are so many quality receivers that, that it's not really something you have to force early. So I, I think it'll be really curious to kind of watch that, that position and the value of that position over the, the coming years. Uh, and, and how teams kind of evaluate taking those guys. I mean, once again, you know, we're looking at a lot of these mock drafts, and you see, um, you know, in most of these, you see like Jalen Waddell and Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith uh, being guys that, you know, in some instances are in the top 10. I think all three of those guys in, in almost every mock draft I've seen are at least in the upper half of the first round. Uh, and then you get to, you know, guys like Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, Rondell Moore out of Purdue. Uh, those guys are first-round picks in a lot of mock drafts. Kadarius Tony from Florida is another guy that's in, in the first round of a lot of these mock drafts. Uh, but then you start looking, you know, further down the list. And while I think, you know, maybe a year... Uh, a year ago, year and a half ago, we started having the Tylen Wallace conversation about where he would fit once he goes to the next level. Um, you know, I'm seeing Elijah Moore from Ole Miss as a first-round pick in in some mock drafts. I've seen Terrence Marshall as a first-round pick in some mock drafts. I've seen Tutu Atwell from Louisville 
as a a first round pick. Uh, and then you get to the, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown from USC is another guy that I've seen as a first round pick in some mock drafts. But Tylen Wallace to me is just one of those guys that's somewhat forgotten about in this process. Um, you know, he got hurt two years ago. And then last year, you know, I think part of it was just Oklahoma State and what they did as a team that maybe didn't help his case. Uh, but, you know, the other thing is I think some of these some of these guys – maybe when you watch them are a little bit more exciting, maybe a little more dynamic than Tylen Wallace. You know, some of these guys obviously are bigger, stronger, faster. Um, he's just not a guy. Tylen Wallace is just not a guy that wows you from a size, strength, speed standpoint. I mean, if you want to match him and compare him to the other receivers in this class and you start looking at the size and you start looking at the speed and you start looking at the strength and maybe the uh, dynamic ability with the ball in his hands. Um, he, you know, I, I can see why uh, some NFL people wouldn't view him as highly as others. The bottom line is, I think as far as just tracking and catching the football, he's as good as anybody in this draft. And I think he's going to be a steal in this draft. I, I, he's probably a late second to third round pick. And again, that's because this receiver class is absolutely loaded. And once again, I think part of it just goes back to what kind of receiver are you looking for? I mean, there are so many different kinds of receivers that fit different roles with teams. And, you know, with Tylen Wallace, it's it's somewhat of a situation where I, I don't think we really know exactly what he could be. I, I think his skill set um, is, is going to allow him to be versatile uh, at the same time, like, you know, as a, as a slot guy, we haven't seen him do a lot of that. Um, he's not, from a size standpoint, the ideal outside threat. Um, I would, I'd be really curious to see what he ends up running because from a speed standpoint, I don't know, uh, I don't know what people are going to, to feel about him. But all I know is the guy just makes plays. And every time his number is called, I think he comes up big. So he's, he's not a guy that is going to be viewed highly in this draft. Um, Mel Kuyper doesn't even have him listed in his top 10 receivers available in this draft. Uh, so I, I would hope mostly for Tylen Wallace that if he's going late second or into the third round, that it's a good team that selects him and, you know, he's going to have the opportunity to play with a quarterback that can take advantage of his skill set. Because, again, I just I think Tylen Wallace has an incredible skill set and it may not wow you in any of those departments I just talked about. But the one area that's most important is the fact that he catches the football and he makes tough catches and he tracks the football. And that's just one of those things that I think sometimes we take for granted when evaluating receivers because they're all supposed to do that. And he does that at an elite level. All right, so Porter asked me on Twitter what I thought about the Kawhi Leonard offensive foul on James Harden last night at the end of the Nets um, Clippers game. And this is a pretty easy one to me. I'll say this, I, I wasn't watching the game so I, I don't have any reference as far as how the game was being called to that point. And if you've listened to me in the past, you know that I'm all about consistency as far as the whistle goes. If you're going to call it tight, that's fine. Just call it tight consistently. If you're going to call it loose, that's fine. Just call it loose consistently. Don't, don't change the way you're going to call something in the final two minutes when you've let it go the entire way. So I can't comment on it from that perspective, but... In terms of just watching the play, can you make the case that it was an offensive foul? I think the answer is absolutely yes. Um, would I like to see that call made in that moment? The answer's the answer's no. 
But I'll say this about the play. I don't think that the push-off from Kawhi was more egregious than the initial foul of James Harden. So if you want to tell me that that's an offensive foul and his arm extended, I completely agree with you. But I would say this, if you think that's an offensive foul, then I would say, in my opinion, James Harden fouled Kawhi Leonard first. And that's if you were going to blow the whistle, I think you probably should blow the whistle on James Harden for fouling rather than Kawhi Leonard for pushing off. So uh, that's my thoughts on it. Again, I don't know how the game was officiated. I don't know if they were calling it tight or loose to that point. My preference, I think just watching that play alone would have been a no call. But if you are going to call something there, I thought James Harden fouled Kawhi Leonard before the offensive foul was called. and, And that's the way I thought it should have gone. All right, so last thing today, let's talk about Shea Gilgis-Alexander and where he fits in the all-star conversation because Shea's having an incredible season. And when you look at the numbers, I mean, it's it's uh, pretty incredible. 22.6 points per game, 5.3 rebounds per game, 6.5 assists per game. But I think the most impressive part of Shea's game right now is the fact that on the season, he's shooting 50% from the field, from three-point land. Obviously, the free throw numbers could be a little bit better. He's at 78%, but 50-40 from the field and three is is big time for a guy that is certainly the number one option on a team. The problem is, I think, when you start looking at the Western Conference and when you look at um, the Thunder, it's just a tough case for Shea Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And and I'll just start with this. Number one, as far as all-star selections... Whether it's fair or not, and we don't have to have this debate today, but um, I I think most people feel like team success in some way contributes toward whether or not you're an all-star. You know, I'll I'll never forget years ago, uh, Charles Barkley made a statement, and and I agree with it to a degree. Uh, He said that, you know, there are a bunch of guys that have big numbers that play for bad teams because somebody has to score, right? You may not win any games, but somebody's got to score points. For a team Now, again, I think when you start to consider how efficiently Shea Gilgis-Alexander is, it's not as though he's just one of these players on a bad team that's taking 100 shots and ending up with good numbers. He's, he's having an incredible season. But in the Western Conference right now, I mean, you're talking about a loaded West that has four teams right now that are better than or have a better winning percentage than the best team in the East – so already, you know, out of the gate, you're talking about the Western Conference with the elite teams in the NBA. The Utah Jazz are the best team in the NBA. I, I would be surprised if there weren't two Utah Jazz players given two of these all-star reserve spots. Again, team success generally outweighs individual uh, talent for non-playoff teams. So the Utah Jazz, I'm guessing... Donovan Mitchell and and Rudy Gobert are going to be two of the seven reserves named. Uh, the Lakers, LeBron was obviously a starter. Anthony Davis, if I had to guess what happens here, I think he's named an all-star, but there will be a replacement pick so that Anthony Davis will get the honor of being named an NBA all-star, but I don't think he actually participates, and I think somebody else is given that chance. Uh, the Clippers are the third best team in the NBA. Kawhi was named a starter. I think Paul George is also given a spot on this team. Then you have the Phoenix Suns at four. Uh, I I would say that my guess is either Chris Paul or Devin Booker gets a spot. 
Maybe both. Um, again, I think you have to start doing the math here, and and maybe it doesn't work out mathematically that both of those guys get a spot. But I would be shocked if one of Chris Paul or Devin Booker doesn't make the team. Then you get to the Blazers, the number five team in the West. Damian Lillard probably should have been a starter. I mean, he's in the MVP conversation right now. So Damian Lillard is getting one of the guard spots on the reserve list. Um, so again, I mean, you're already talking about us giving two spots to the Jazz with Mitchell and Gobert, Paul George at number three, and then just for the sake of doing this, we'll say that only one of Booker or Chris Paul gets the opportunity, so that makes four reserves. Damian Lillard would then be the fifth reserve, so that that leaves two spots left. And when you start looking at the remaining players with opportunities, like I said, that we're leaving out one of the Phoenix Suns now. Um, San Antonio right now sixth in the West, and DeMar DeRozan is having a great season, averaging 20 uh, seven assists and five rebounds, I believe. Uh, so again, you know, you're talking about a playoff team with a guy whose numbers are very similar to Shea's. Um, I, I know some have made the case for Ja Morant. I don't know that I would I would put him in that class. Um, I, I've seen some people making the case for De'Aaron Fox. I think De'Aaron Fox and and Shea Gilgis Alexander are kind of in the same boat, uh, where team success ultimately is is what keeps them out. Um, the Pelicans. Look, I think Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson both have the case to be one of the front court players for the Western Conference. So if both don't make it, I think one of them will for sure. And, and again, the Pelicans sit above the thunder in the standings. Uh, and then when you finally add the last piece of this equation with Shea missing a week, I, I just think you're hard-pressed in the West to find an open spot for Shea Gilgis-Alexander to be an all-star uh, but, you know, I think you have to love the season he's having. I think you have to have to love the progress that he's made. I think you have to love the mentality that he plays with and the mentality of the Thunder, right? I, the Thunder, nobody is going to argue the Thunder are one of the most talented teams in the league. In fact, I would argue that the Thunder are probably bottom five as far as just overall talent in the league. And I think on most nights they somewhat surprise us with how competitive they are. And again, I think that goes back to the mentality that they embraced a year ago. I think that what Chris Paul gave to this team has rubbed off on Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and and I think Shea has the potential to be a future All-Star. I, I think in this tough Western Conference this year, seeing where the Thunder are in the standings and seeing so many teams that are better but have guys with similar numbers just makes it a really tough argument for Shea to be an all-star in 2021. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels podcast. The sun is shining, and uh, I'm actually going to watch college baseball this afternoon. My brother-in-law is playing college baseball today, and you know I can't, I can't pass up the opportunity with the sun shining to get outside. I know we've all been pretty miserable over the last week with all the snow and the power outages and the television and internet outages. And I, I just, I love the fact that the sun is shining. Uh, the temperature is obviously going to be warm enough to, uh, to allow us to get outside. So little man and I are going to watch my brother-in-law p- play baseball today, but I hope you guys all enjoy, enjoy the sunshine and it's great to have it back. And, and hopefully everybody is, uh, doing okay after last week's craziness with the weather. But, uh, Again, I appreciate all of you for checking out the podcast. Don't uh, don't forget to subscribe and rate the podcast. That that's a big help to me. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel. Every day I post uh, the recording of the. 
the live stream to YouTube so you can watch it back there. And then obviously you can listen to it on all the podcast platforms. All right, again, Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. They have Kratom, they have CBD, they have Delta 8. I'm a customer at Artisan Botanicals. They're great people that are 100% dedicated to helping you live a better life. So if you have any questions about these products or how they can benefit you, give Artisan Botanicals a call, 405-458-9699. And don't forget to order online. It's the easiest way to do it, abotanicalcompany.com. We can save you 15% off your online order with the discount code COLBYSHOW. So there's really no reason to not order online. Save yourself 15%. Not to mention, pickup is easy and safe. They have a drive-thru that you can just cruise in, pick up your order, and and cruise out. It's uh, a very efficient thing that they have going at Artisan Botanicals. And again, they're great people. I can't speak highly enough about Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Everybody have a great day, stay safe, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.